0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you all. I'm sorry there's no Roman soldiers this week. I don't think we can sustain that every week. Sorry, guys. But I'm really excited to unpack God's word for you today. My name's Tom, and I'm one of the pastors here at Hope. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in almost every single state in America, there is a law called concealed carry where you are permitted to carry a deadly weapon on you at all times, as long as it's hidden away. And uh, for us in the UK, that might seem completely ridiculous. We might think, how on earth can they do that? Uh, many of us have never even seen a gun, let alone held one or fired one. And uh, it seems so alien to us. And We think, at any point, you could be amongst a bunch of people who've got deadly weapons on them, and you just don't know. You've got no idea. Well, what if I was to tell you this morning that each of you have on you right now a weapon that the Bible likens to a flamethrower that can set a whole forest on fire, and you have this weapon on you at all times, you never let it go, and it is seriously dangerous. I'm, of course, talking about the tongue. I'm talking about our mouths, which the Bible talks about as being like a weapon, and capable of doing much good, but capable of also doing a lot of damage as well. Today, we're going to look a little bit about what the Bible says about the tongue and how we use our mouths. We've been working through uh, this book in the Bible called Ephesians, which was a letter written by a man called Paul, who was an apostle. He fathered churches. He helped to see churches established and planted. He proclaimed Jesus, this amazing kingdom that we've been singing about this morning, And as people responded to who Jesus is, they formed churches together, communities of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, enjoying the presence of God together. And Paul helped to then bring fatherly care to these churches. He's writing to this church in a place called Ephesus in modern-day Turkey from prison. And we've, in the first few chapters as we've unpacked it together, we've, we've seen how he's invited us to sit and take in all that God has done for us. We've been invited to sit and see all that God has done for us in sending his son to earth, that he might live the perfect life that we couldn't live, that he might die in our place on the cross, that he might rise to life, bringing us into new life in the process. We've been invited to sit and see that he has done it. We didn't add anything to this other than our sin and disobedience that he had to forgive. And now, as we go into chapter 4, and as we've been looking at these last few weeks in chapter 4, we're now urged to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We're to walk in a manner that is worthy of that wonderful work that God has done for us. And as we've seen over these last two weeks, the Christian life is to be a life of contrast. It is a walk. We walk in some ways that are to look different to the world around us. We're to now offer ourselves and offer every member of our body in response to what God has done for us. And so we're picking up today in the same verses that we were in two weeks ago, verses 25 of chapter 4 onwards, and we're going to particularly look at our mouths today. We're also going to look at our hands briefly as well. This is what we read. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we now, in response to what Jesus has done for us in offering his life for us, we now say, it's all yours, Lord. We now offer our bodies and every instrument of our bodies and say, it's all yours, Lord. This is the life of contrast, part two. Now, before we come to the tongue, we see here that Paul has some instructions for what we're to do, or rather what we're not to do with our hands. Now, it's not really much of a shocker for a Christian leader to say, hey, don't steal. That's not really like very shocking, is it? It's not very uh, novel. But we need to see here that there's something far greater here that Paul is now urging the, the church in Ephesus into. He's not only saying don't steal, which, by the way, was probably more typical uh, back then than is right now. We need to get out of our minds pictures of you know men in black and white striped shirts and like you know, balaclavas, right? I don't know who ever dressed up like that to go and rob something, by the way. Because it, it, anyway, this is a culture Paul's writing into here, where there would have been a lot of trade going on, tr- exchanging goods and produce. And there would have been a temptation to sometimes sell something to someone that was maybe a little bit less than what you had actually said it was. You might sell something to someone and say, yeah, there's there's, uh, there's five kilograms of that, but actually there's four and a half. You're keeping a little bit back for yourself. Or you might be just quite tempting just pick up an apple at at the marketplace where no one's seeing and just take that and off you go. This is more typical maybe in those days or more obvious in those days than it is now. And Paul is speaking into this context and he's saying, there's something to be very different about you in the way that you work. He says in verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but let him work with his own hands, doing honest work. He's talking about work here, which is a, a good thing. God has given us work as a gift. It may not feel like that much of the time. In fact, it, a lot of the time it probably doesn't feel like that. But work is a good thing. And it's given to us by God. And he wants us to work in an honest way, not to accumulate more and more stuff, but to actually be able to be generous with what we receive. So he's saying, don't don't steal and try and kind of get more and more stuff, because that just betrays a bit of a lack of trust in God, doesn't it? I don't trust that he's going to give me all that I need. He's saying, instead, work with your hands, and actually, you can get to the place where you can be generous with what you have. If you work hard, in an honest way, you can actually get to the point where you can give away that which you earn. Now, I want that for us as a church, that we see that there are kind of three different things going on here. You can either steal to get, you can either work to get, or you can work in order to give. You can actually see it in a very, very different light. John Wesley, the uh, great preacher from a couple of hundred years ago, Methodist preacher, he said you can... He said, he, he said, work as hard as you can to earn as much as you can that you might give away as much as you can. I think that's a completely different way of looking at things, isn't it? There's a whole new motivation at play here. It's not just about don't steal, that's wrong. No, no, you can actually work hard in honest work, which God has given you as a gift, in order that you can be really, really generous. And I, I wonder if there might even be some that God is stirring up within this church that just have the ability to make money. Maybe you're entrepreneurial, maybe you're uh, you know, great at business, and God is giving you that ability in order that you can be really generous with what you have, in order that you can pour out into the lives of others, and there may be others in need within our community that we can, uh, we can help physically, practically. There may be those in other nations You think, God's given me an ability to earn money, and I want to pour it into a into a into a nation where there's deep poverty, and I want to see people alleviated from poverty and given skills to uh, earn money for themselves and to to be entrepreneurs themselves. Well, it may be even that you think God's given me the ability to earn money. He's given me gifts with when it's come to money, maybe even managing money, and I can now give into the life of the church more, and I can give into uh, ministries that we want to see uh, started here at the church and evolved here at the church so that we can see more and more of the kingdom of God come here in Ipswich. There's a whole new way of looking at things, isn't there, here? It's, I, could, I could work in order to get, or I can work in order to be able to give away and be generous. This is a whole new motivation here at play. It's a, a life of total contrast, where it is really so much about earning to get up the ladder, get more and more stuff, or to even kind of get more and more power. Within a workplace, I can get more and more influence. More people can answer to me. But actually, there's a whole different motivation at play here, which is I want to give. I want to earn in order to give away. So if you've got a vision for this, we'd love to pray for you in this. Sometimes people think, oh, maybe earning money is a bit of a dirty word in church. We're supposed to all be poor and not have much money. No, no, I don't think that's true. And I think there's some. Maybe God's even stirred up with a vision to oh, I can earn money well, and there'll be ways in which you can sow into the lives of others and so into commu- whole communities with what God has given you. So this whole, this, this gospel, what God has done for us, this good news of what he's done for us, changes the way we're to work, to see it as a gift. We have a new motive now in order to be able to give to others. This is something that he wants us to get a vision for. And then we come to the mouth. He says, let no corrupting talk come from your mouth. And this this word corrupting or corrupt is used elsewhere in the New Testament, and it's used to describe rotten fish or rotten fruit. So there's a story Jesus tells about some fishermen, and at one point they're sorting out the rotten fish from the good fish. This is the same word in the original language, which was Greek, and it's talking about rotten stuff. It's In another uh, story Jesus tells, it's rotten fruit. So this is what's going on here. Paul's saying, don't let anything rotten come from your mouth. Because the implication is rotten stuff, it makes you ill, and it makes others ill as well. It's something that will actually cause harm to others. This is the kind of stuff that Paul is getting at here. Corrupt talk comes, we see, from a corrupt heart, from something that's not good inside. This is, a, this is an idea that uh, Jesus uh, brings forth, and then his brother James, in his Uh, letter, his epistle, he also echoes. We see it in uh, Matthew chapter 12. Let's go there now. And uh, verses 34 to 35, this is what Jesus says. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. So Jesus here is developing this idea that what is within you will ultimately come forth. If there's some rotten stuff inside, if there's some stuff within that you are maybe stewing over or allowing to kind of get in and brew within you, it will ultimately come forth. And as I said, Jesus' brother James develops this idea in chapter 3 of his letter strikingly similar words, where he says in uh, verse 8, he's talking about the tongue, he says, we cannot, no human has ever fully tamed the tongue, and then he says, but no human being can tame the tongue, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so." Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Very similar verses. What they're saying is that what is unseen will come forth. And so a corrupt inside will come forth to gossip and slander. And malice, what will be inside of its corrupt will come forth to talking about stuff that is just, you shouldn't talk about it, stuff that's coarse, stuff that's full of lies, stuff that's full of envy, abusive language, vicious and unkind words. These will come forth if what is within is not right. And it's not even immediate, friends. That this happens just like when you eat something that's not good for you, you might not know about it for a while. But we, we need to ask ourselves: what is it, what is it that we're taking in? What is it that we're consuming? What is it that we're allowing to kind of fester in our hearts? I went shopping the other day, I had a voucher for my birthday, I went to a sports shop, and I was in the sports shop for about two or three minutes and My ears tuned in to the music that was being played over the sound system there and they were lyrics that were disgusting. They were deeply misogynistic, sexist, horrible lyrics about what this guy wanted to do to to his girlfriend or whatever. It was horrible and I had to walk out of the shop. I couldn't stay in there because I thought I don't want to listen to this. I had to go back because it was a voucher just for that shop. I went back in two hours later after I'd done some work in Costa. I had to go back in later on and try and buy something. But I couldn't stay in there because I thought I don't want this to be going around. I don't want to take this on board. This is not going to be good for me. What are we letting in, friends? What are we drinking in? Sometimes we just scroll through Instagram endlessly. Some people getting into unhelpful stuff, just looking at stuff. Just not helpful. What's it going to lead to? What's it going to produce? What's going to come forth? Some of us may be just a bit too um, inclined to listen in on the gossip in the office or wherever it might be, or even in life group, dare I say. And we just kind of allow ourselves to take that in and think, no, no, I don't want to listen to that. I don't need to know about that. What are we allowing in? Because what is within will, will come forth in some ways. So we're got to ask ourselves, what are we allowing to stew up in our hearts? And in place of corrupt talk, what Paul urges is well-chosen talk. It's talk that will build others up. He gives three motivations for well-chosen talk. The first I've just said is that we get to build others up. Listen, the Christian life involves constant encouragement of others. It involves constant encouragement of others, to speak encouragement to people. If you're Mentality though is is cynical and constantly critical, then you're not gonna thrive when it comes to building others up. So ask yourself am I am I a cynical person? Have I allowed cynicism to kind of well up within me? Do I believe the best? Am I always looking for the negative angle? Am I always critical? If you if you're a cynical person, if you're a critical person, you will not be a good leader in your family. You won't be a good leader in your job. You won't be a good leader in the church. We need to be those that are looking to build others up and encourage. If, you, if there's no warmth or encouragement in you, people will see that. And they might not even be able to put their finger on it. But there's an atmosphere around you if you're a cynical or critical person. And people know it. They know it without even being able to say that's going on. They know it. But if you're full of, I want to build others up and encourage people, people are going to want to be around you. People are going to want to spend time with you because what you what you exude is is warmth and encouragement. I want to speak good things into people. Let us be known as encouragers. Let us be the, let us be those who are known as encouragers, friends. How does this how does this kind of tie up with a couple of weeks ago when we we're looking at speaking the truth in love? Sometimes needing to bring challenge, sometimes needing to bring direct challenge to things where we see people walking in uh, in sin and error. Well, there's a, a, a pastor called Mark Dever in the States. He said this. There is a time to scold, but 80 to 90% of what you hope to correct can be accomplished through encouragement. I, I think that's really wise. There is a time when we need to, we need to come against some things and, and bring clear challenge. But 80, 80 to 90% of the time, it can be achieved through encouragement. You can bring encouragement. How are we doing, friends, when it comes to training our children? If you're a parent here, we need to train our children. It's what we've been given to do. We need to correct them. Sometimes we need to say no to them. Sometimes you can say no to your children. You can say no to them. You don't have to bow to their every whim. You can be best friends with them when they're 25. You don't have to be best friends with them now. (laughs) All right. (laughs) That wasn't even the point of what I was going to say, but here we go. But you can say no to them. But listen, if we're always kind of scolding and never encouraging, we're in danger. We need to bring encouragement. We need to call out what we see that is good in them and encourage that. I I just see this. You're doing so well in this. It was so good when you spoke to your mum like that. It was so good when you did that. It was so good when you offered to do this. We need to be encouragers. There is a time to say no. (laughs) But we need to be those that encourage as well. Because... What adrenaline is to the body, encouragement is to the soul. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a medically trained person, but I know that adrenaline is a really powerful thing. Adrenaline is incredible. It causes you to do extraordinary things because most of the time, we don't even use even half of our, our, our potential energy. I'm looking at some sports scientists here. We don't even use like half of what we're, we're capable of, of using and yet when, we're, when we know danger or threat in some way, adrenaline kicks in and enables us to access strength that we didn't even know that we had. I've, I've shared this story before, but a few years ago, we, it felt like a long time, but only for a few minutes, we lost our daughter in a big museum uh, in London, and I turned into the Hulk. I did, for a few minutes. I, the adrenaline kicked in, and I was pushing people out of the way. I didn't care. People were just flying all over the place. I didn't care. I needed to find my daughter. Adrenaline kicked in and it caused me to do extraordinary things. I had to find her. And you kind of feel afterwards. Whoa, what happened to me? Well, adrenaline came in and and took over. Listen, encouragement is so necessary because we are using probably only a, a small percentage of the potential that is in this room. Just look around you for a moment. Just take a moment. Just look around you. Don't look too long. You might look a bit weird if you just stare at someone. There is incredible potential in this room. There's incredible potential in this room to reach this town, to reach this region, to reach the nations. There is incredible potential in this room. There are people here who are weary and who need encouragement. There are people here who think, I think God spoke to me about something years ago, but I have put it on the shelf because I just some things happen, and I don't think I'm going to do that now because I'm just exhausted. If you want to know who needs encouragement, here's a tip for you. It's someone who's breathing. (laughs) You, You need encouragement. We need encouragement. There's people in the room here who need encouragement because they're weary and who need that shot of adrenaline, as it were, to get back on track to what God has for them to do in this life. There is so much potential here. And we're seeing some wonderful things happening in this church. We really are. I don't want to come across like nothing's happening. I mean, there's amazing things happening, and I get the privilege of hearing a load more stuff than maybe you do. But, friends, we've got so much more ahead of us. And encouragement to build others up is so important. And Hannah modeled this so well the other week when she spoke, and she just called out a few people and said, I just see this in you, and you do this really well, and I'm blessed by this in you. We need to do that all the time, and it needs to be all of us. It doesn't need to be just a few people doing it. It says in in Hebrews chapter 10, some of my uh, uh, favorite verses that I've been coming to again and again uh, over these last few months. It says this Let us consider, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Have you considered this? Are you considering this? Are you thinking, how can I stir that person up to love and good works? How can I stir them up? Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're going to come to that day in just a moment. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. But this is for all of us, friends, how we can stir one another up. How can we encourage to really be thoughtful about this as well, thinking, how can I really encourage that person? Can I write to them? Can I speak to them? Can I spend an afternoon with them? Can I take them out for a drink? Can we pray together? What can I do? I want to encourage them. I want to build them up. They look weary or they have got so much potential that they're not realizing yet. I want to speak to them and build them up. I want to see them running in their lane. I want to see them going for it if, with all that God has for them. How are we, how we doing this, friends? Are we, are we stirring each other up? Are we looking to do this? Encourage literally means uh, to to come alongside of and call out. That's in the original Greek. It's it's para, which means come alongside of, and kalio, which is to call out. So it's like a leader going to his troops, coming alongside them before they go into battle and saying, "Come on, we can do this." It's like William Wallace on his horse, you know, trotting along. I'm not going to do the impression, but you can get the picture. This is this is what it's about. It's to call people forth and say, "You can do this. God is with you. He's got things for you to do." This is what encouragement. means is we've got a lot of potential here in this room. We will look so different, friends, if we're known as a people of encouragement. Because in the world, as it were, it is like civil war at times. Our own, our own leaders in this country are just at each other's throats. I know they've got to debate things, but some of it is it's just vile. Twitter, I mean, if you ever think about getting a Twitter account, don't bother. It's horrible. There's some horrible things on there. People just at war with each other all the time. There's all kinds of malice and hatred pouring out to each other. Let us be known as a people of, 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 of contrast. Do you know in, in 1905, there was a revival that swept through Wales, one of many revivals that has come to that country, and the, the ponies that helped the guys in the mines after that time, did not recognize their owners' voices because they stopped being so aggressive and swearing. <laughs> the ponies didn't even respond to their owners because there was such a contrast. These people have been saved, radically changed. Let's be known as a people of contrast in the way that we use our voices, the way that we speak, the way that we speak to others. That's the first motivation here is that we might get to build others up. The second is that we may not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. We're not very familiar with seals these days, uh, unless you're my father-in-law. Big shout out to Trev if you're watching. He writes to me, and he puts seals on his envelopes. like It's like 1,500. (laughs) And it's wonderful. I love it. I know it's from him. That's the deal. That's the idea. I know it's from him we friends when we've placed our faith in jesus which i guess many of us have here we were sealed that day by god the holy spirit the third member of the trinity god himself came to dwell within you and you're sealed as his for eternity you you, you belong to him you are, you are you are totally his and the holy spirit is a person his He's not an it, his preferred pronoun is a he. He, he, he is a person, he's come to live within us and we can grieve him, he's come to live within us. Our bodies are, are not just bags of DNA, not just, we're not just bags of DNA that maybe one day mate with other bags of DNA and produce another bag of DNA. Because that's, that's the reality if there's no God, right? That's the reality. Christians, we're, we're temples of the Holy Spirit individually. God the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us. And so it really matters what we do with our body. He's so gracious. He's so patient with us. But it really matters what we do with our bodies. It really matters that we, we offer him... Every part of us and say, "I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. I want to live to honor you, God, because you're living within me. You've come to you've come to dwell within me. So I want to honor you. I want to please Him. I want to find out what pleases Him. We can find it in this book, which incidentally was written by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So you want to know what pleases the Holy Spirit? Read His Word. We we don't have to sort of second guess." have to try and twist it and think, well, I really want to do that. I don't think that's what it really means. I really want to do that. No, no, no. It's clear. It's plain. We're we're temples of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to grieve Him. We want to honor Him. We want to please Him. The final motivation is that we've been sealed for the day of redemption. So we've been sealed, but we've been sealed for the day of redemption. And this phrase, oh, Wow. (laughs) This the the day of redemption. We've been redeemed, Christians, we've been redeemed in one sense, we've been brought out of slavery, but there's a day of redemption coming. And the Bible speaks about it again and again and again, as if to wake us up from our earthly mindedness, to say there is a day coming, a day where it's going to be powerful and glorious and we get to be with him forever. There is a day coming. It it reminds us over a hundred times, friends, we can become so earthly-minded, can't we? We can think this is all that there is to offer. This is all that's ever going to be is this life. YOLO. There's a day coming. There's a day coming. And, and, and Paul and the other writers of the New Testament letters, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the early Christians, they fixed their eyes on that day. They fixed their eyes on that day. Do you know why? Because they were a minority undergoing immense pressure to compromise. Friends, we are now a minority in this nation. 5% of people go to church regularly. 5%. And we're going to begin to feel like the minority that we are in the years to come. We need to encourage each other that there is a day coming. We need to encourage each other that there is a day coming. And some of you, you get caught up in all of the details and you try and match up this world event with this world event and you miss the point. We're going to be with Jesus forever. So we don't have to get caught up in, is that world event this thing in Revelation? That's just missing the point. We get to be with Jesus forever. We will always be with him. And that's good news. And we fix our eyes on that day. And and Paul, writing to the Thessalonians in chapter 4, he says this, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Come on. He's coming again. He is coming again. And this is our hope, friends. This is our hope. I have an expectation that God's going to do extraordinary things in this nation in the years to come. I have an expectation of that. I believe he's going to save many people. I don't believe we're always going to feel like uh, this this thing's just declining and declining. I, I have an expectation, but that's not my hope. My hope is that Jesus is going to return. My hope is that he is going to return. He's going to make all things new, and we will be with him forever. That's our hope. That's why we're Hope Church. We've got a hope that will not fade, and friends, we can therefore, in the light of that, we don't compromise. And we don't say, well, I feel like I need to go that way because the world's going that way. No, we've got a hope that we're fixing our eyes on and we're not letting go of. We need to keep encouraging each other to look to that day. The day of redemption, is drawing near. Fix our eyes on that which is unseen. He's coming again. He's coming again. This week, Sarah and I, we received some news from a friend. We were, we were devastated. We were devastated. We cried. And we were listening to a, a song in the car with the kids. It was a kid's song. And the refrain at the end just said, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. And we were crying in the car. we got to wait for the Lord. And to him, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. We, we might think he's slow in returning. No, he's patient. He's really patient. He wants many, many more to join his family wait for him, wait for him there is a day coming there's, much, there's something much better to come than anything that this life has to offer wait for him, wait for him fix your eyes on that day so the tongue is powerful it's, it's, it's less than 1% of our body weight and yet it has the power to tear down it has immense power to build up immense power to bring encouragement. One spark, one careless word can be destructive. It can be harmful. We need to be those that James says around these verses. He says, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Let's be those who are slow to speak and quick to listen. The tongue is, is like a microphone to our heart. It reveals what's going on within. It tells us, are we stewing on some things that we shouldn't be? We're allowing some things just to fester that we shouldn't allow to fester. If we're not right with God, we're not walking consistently with God, we're not going to consistently produce the good words that He wants us to produce. We're going to bring forth stuff that's rotten. So let's be those that are walking with Him daily. Let's be those that are drinking in good things. Paul says, doesn't he, in Philippians, whatever is good, whatever is pure, Whatever is holy, think about such things. Be mindful of what it is that you are letting in. Be mindful of those things. It's okay to turn things off. It's okay to walk out of a shop when you feel like that's not going to be helpful for me. For some, they could probably listen to it and it'd be okay. But for me, it's not helpful. Sometimes Sarah and I watch films that have got like battle scenes in. I like a good historical drama. And Sarah will hide under the blanket for long periods sometimes and say, Is it over yet? But this is good and right. She's actually got a better stomach than me for real blood. (laughs) I fainted when uh, Sarah was in labor with our twins. Uh, That's a story for another day. (laughs) But blood on the screen I can deal with. But she doesn't want this to go around in her mind as she goes to bed. So she hides behind the blanket. That's okay, that's good. Take yourself out of situations. I'm not going to allow that. I'm not going to allow that in. I don't want that to fester within. i want to walk away. The grace of God has appeared to us, teaches us to say no to some things. I don't, I don't want that. It's not helpful. I'm not going to go there. So what are we allowing in? Let's be walking in the truth. And friends, the bad news is that we will all fail at this to a degree. James says, no one's ever really fully tamed the tongue. We will all mess up in this area from time to time. You, might have, you probably have even failed today. Probably on the way to church, had an argument about something. Why were you late? Well, it was, it was because of you. No, it was because of you. You didn't help enough. You probably had already had some unhelpful discussions. You will fail at this from time to time, friends. The good news is we, we throw ourselves on the mercy of, of the one with whom there was no deceit found in his mouth. When he was beaten up, he didn't respond with anger and malice. This is what Peter says in his glorious letter. In 1 Peter chapter 2, if I can quickly get there now. He committed no sin. This is Peter. Got, he got a first-hand view of Jesus' life for years. You'd think that if Jesus had sinned, Peter would have known. You think if Jesus had slipped up just once with his mouth, Peter would have known. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness this is the life that we're now in friends we get to die to sin so i'm dead to that i'm it's no longer who i am you're no longer stuck in your sin you might feel like it but you're not christian you're not stuck you've been freed you're dead to sin now you get to live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wow. Shepherd and overseer of your soul. We all need a shepherd and overseer of our soul. And you, if you don't know him, you can return to him today. Because the Bible makes it clear that you've strayed You've strayed away from that which you were made for. You were made to know him. You were made to walk with him. You were made for a relationship with him. You're made to know the shepherd. And you can return to him today by faith. You can you can turn around. You can repent. That means to turn around, to do a 180. You're walking in one direction. I'm now going to stop pursuing what I was pursuing, and I'm going to turn. And go a, a whole other direction I'm going to walk to Jesus you can return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul today, you can you can know him and even as we sing in just a moment you can make that step today as Sue so helpfully shared earlier, best decision she ever made it would be the best decision you ever made get to walk with the shepherd and overseer of your soul you need him And you'll feel lost without him. You'll feel disorientated without him. You'll feel like a sheep without a shepherd. You will. You can turn to him today. But friends, we we need God's help when it comes to walking in his ways, speaking not with corrupt talk, but with holy, good talk that will build others up. We need his help. I want to pray for us in this. And we're going to pray together as well. Should we stand? Let's just engage with God where we are. He's here. You don't need me to pray on your behalf, Jesus is your priest. <laughs> Let's engage with him. I want to pray for us all in a moment, but let's just engage with him where we are. Lord, we're sorry for the times where we have allowed corrupt, rotten things to come from our mouths. We are sorry, Lord. And we don't want to do that. We want to, we want to walk in your ways. want to walk in a manner worthy of this great calling. We want that which comes from our mouths to be that which builds up. We want that which comes from our mouths to be that which strengthens others. That really starts the, the sounds the starting gun for others. That we want we want, to, we want to see others running with everything they have. you and we want to be those that bring encouragement, timely encouragement Lord would you help us today would you help us this week and in the weeks to come, help us to know with the Holy Spirit living within us he lives within us God himself we can bring forth good fruit because of that we can bring forth good words because of that want to see many built up Lord as we go into life groups in a few weeks time we want this to be a season of extraordinary building up Lord we want it to be a season where every week it's like I don't want to miss this because I come away so encouraged I come away so built up Lord we want to be those that point each other to that day Lord may we be those that point each other to the day of redemption the great day Lord that is our hope we want to be those that fix our eyes on eternity. Would you help us, Lord? May we at Hope be known. May your, your body of believers right across this town in every church that loves your name, Lord, let it be that we are a people of contrast in the way that we speak, in the way that we work, Lord, in the way we use our hands. We want to be a people of contrast. Lord, we want to stand out, Lord. We want people to look on astounded like those ponies did. (laughs) Lord, we want to be those that astound the world because you are are living and active in us. Lord, you lead us on in this, we pray. Help us to dwell on good things. Help us to dwell on things that are good and right and pure that we may bring forth that which is good and right and pure from our mouths. Lord, we know that we will stumble. We throw ourselves on your mercy, Lord Jesus. You, who no deceit was found in your mouth, Lord Jesus. We worship you, the perfect King of kings, the one who never reviled those who were reviling you. Lord Jesus, never did you slip up, never did you say, I wish I hadn't said that. You, Lord Jesus, you lived the perfect life for us. Lord, you went to the cross for us. You died in our place, Lord Jesus, and we celebrate you. We worship you, Lord Jesus, and you rose again, and you're coming again, and we worship you. We celebrate you, Lord Jesus, and we give ourselves afresh to you. We get back up on the altar and we say, we want to be living sacrifices for you, holy and pleasing, Lord, in every way. Let us bless you, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We're going to just say some words from a psalm together, and then these guys are going to lead us in a song. So we can have Psalm 19. Let's let's, let's say this together, shall we? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord my rock and my redeemer let's say that one more time shall we and we're gonna sing let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight oh lord my rock and my redeemer let's sing to him